midwifery.com. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Feel like escaping every once in a while? Join me, Fritz Homans, every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 4 at the Blues Station. We'll shuffle out of town on track 145 and explore the well-known and not-so-well-known blues artists from coast to coast. Good blues is more than just playing notes, and we'll explore those artists who understand that concept and who play with their soul and their passion. You can count on a good escape on Wednesday afternoons. Lots of good insight into the artists who are bringing us the best of the blues and their music. All aboard for the Blues Station. That's every Wednesday from 2 to 4, right here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and all over the world, online at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Mabel Wadsworth Center, providing comprehensive sexual and reproductive health services to people in northern and eastern Maine since 1984. Insurance, Maine care, self-pay accepted, and reduced fees for uninsured clients. MabelWadsworth.org. It's about 10 seconds before the hour of 10 o'clock, and that hour, 10 o'clock, is healthy options time. Looking for some options to be healthy? Check it out. Good morning. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. Today's program is on financial health. Oh, yes, we're going to discuss money. Our guest today is Ruth Hayden, who is a nationally recognized financial consultant, educator, and author. She's president of Ruth L. Hayden and Associates, Inc., a consulting and educational company based in St. Paul, Minnesota. And as an educator, she's well known for her financial innovation starting in the early 1980s when she identified the relationship between our emotions and money. This is what we know today as behavioral finance, which now gets a lot of attention, but we're going to talk to Ruth about that today, behavioral finance, our emotions and money. She's the author of four books, one of them, Your Money Life, the Make It Work Workbook, and it's a hands-on approach to learning about money. She also published Start Where You Are, Retirement Planning in a Changing World. It's a holistic, pragmatic guide to planning the retirement you want. For over 30 years, Ruth Hayden has taught classes that challenge women to take charge of their lives as, acknowledge, as knowledgeable, strong, and financially literate and focused women. Her course on women and money inspired her first book, How to Turn Your Money Life Around, The Money Book for Women. She teaches classes for couples on how to manage money issues that often arise in relationships. And that's, of course, the, base, the basis of her book, for Richer, Not Poorer, The Money Book for Couples. She's won many awards for her books and her classes, and she has been quoted in a wide range of national publications, many that you know, New York Newsday, Minneapolis Star and Tribune, Reader's Digest, Money. That's not all of them. <laughs> She's also a frequent guest on commentator on Minnesota Public Radio. We're honored to have her here as a guest here on Community Radio, WERU, and we have spoken with Ruth before, and so we're so glad to have you back here on Healthy Options, Ruth Hayden. Thank you for joining us. 
Good morning, Rhonda. Good to be here. So that was uh, that's that's a lot. We could we could dig into that introduction anywhere. That was a mouthful. It was, but you deserve it. There it is. All this good work. Um, this is healthy options. We're talking about money. We I think we have to start with uh, discussing what you know and what you've observed in all of your years of of work about uh, the relationship of emotions and health to uh, to the work that you're doing. Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, back. In the 1980s, oh, that seems like so long ago now. Um, I, I am given credit for being one of the first voices to talk about emotions and money. And I came from an accounting background, and when I started to work, and it wasn't effective. You know, people didn't do what I suggested they do, and I could, I knew they were smart, intelligent people, and I didn't know what to do about it. I started doing research on how people change, why people change. And I realized that the missing component with money was the emotional piece. You know, so if I say I am not going to use my credit card until the balance is paid off, and then I get home one day and um, there's some brown lettuce in the fridge and some moldy cheese and the cat has puked up all over the kitchen, (laughs) and I say to myself, uh, listen, I work really hard. I should be able to go out and get a decent meal once in a while. And I think I'm thinking, but I'm rationalizing, which is emotional-based. And the next thing I know, my tummy is full, and I have used my credit card to eat. That's the emo- how the emotions, I think I should be able to get a decent meal once in a while, control the money behavior. And that was the missing link that made all the difference in the world with working with people that there is an emotional component that controls manages the decisions you make with money how about that for a long answer Rhonda? that's a very good answer <laughs> i um <laughs> and very vivid thank you thank you for that image that will stay with me for the You're rest of the, the day cat, aren't you? <laughs> um so um <laughs> but so the um the the idea that um, we can rationalize, yeah. Or but but there's there's more to it, isn't there? There's there's mm-hmm. a, another aspect that 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 comes from. There's another aspect that comes from the the sense of where we learn about money, or yeah. what 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 do we have well, to know I came about up, that? I came up as a teacher, you know, my job is because I am an educator, and I, my job is to help people make the change they want to be able to make in order to make their lives better. And so when I figured out that it wasn't all about counting, there really was an emotional aspect to it, then I thought, where the heck did these emotions come from? And I came up with a model that is your money training, what you are taught by absorption, when you are very young, actually, creates beliefs, which are the emotions, which control behavior. And behavior is in three areas, how much you earn or don't earn, how you spend your money, and how you accumulate or save your money. So the piece about the training was a really fascinating piece about where do these beliefs, the emotions, come from? You know, as long as we're doing a little um, money 101 here, 
the, the definition I use for a belief, it's an emotional conclusion that feels like truth. And that's why when you're rationalizing about going out and getting a meal to eat, that's emotion. It comes out of that belief. The belief is I should be able to get a decent meal once in a while. But you don't think of beliefs in just, you know, empty air. They come from your history. They come from your experiences. So one of the questions I ask my clients is, as a little kid, how did you get what you needed? As a little kid, how did you get what you wanted? Needs and wants and the difference between them and the difference in emotional response to needs versus wants is a huge piece in money and how people make decisions about money. Did that make? Did I jump too fast there? No. Well, I'm with you. Um, Let's as uh, the the uh, technique I like to use is everyone who really got that, please raise your hands. And and so far, (laughs) it's looking good out there. I think I think it's looking very good out there. So let's uh, you know we are in WERU, and so let's just say what we're what we're talking about. Um, we can have an entire conversation on a different program about who makes money, who doesn't make money, all of the right. the uh, political and uh, and social issues Absolutely about that. Absolutely true. And yep. we will have that conversation at another time on a different program. Right now, we're going to have the basis that some of us that that basically that there is money that we have somewhere, and that we're uh, we're going to be or trying to have somewhere, and we're going to be um, working with with that premise, and, and we can understand all the social implications of this conversation. How about that, if I, if I just throw that out, um, because I think that's important. Um, the needs... Well, versus- even people's social, even the social implications for individual people has to do with beliefs and how they are in the world. How do I want to be in the world? That's a decision, you know, and so then it gives us, we feel emotionally aligned with ourselves, and then we feel like we can take a stance in the world. So even that piece has to do with the emotions and money and being in the world. Right. So you can have uh, what for some would seem a totally secure financial picture and still feel insecure yes or vice versa with people that have millions for example and they feel very concerned very worried they don't they're afraid it could all go away tomorrow quote unquote and i work with people that don't have any money and are not doing anything to take care of what i call their 80 year olds And I have to get them concerned. How are you going to be in the world with your values and your beliefs and also be safe with money? And so it's it's interesting that it's not doesn't start with the money itself. Right. So needs versus wants. Yes. What are the different emotional aspects that you've noticed? Do those those get confused? in in these client in in people's minds yes well that's the challenge with how they make decisions about money needs you know everyone needs to know that they can take care of the things that have to be taken care of you know if i have the cat that's sick 
I need to figure out a way to get my cat some help, and I need to have the money to be able to do that. That's a need, right? A want is what gives us pleasure, and it makes us feel like, oh, this is fun, right? And, and they have two, they're two very different categories, and they have very different emotional responses within us. One is I feel really good that I can take care of my cat <laughs> or I can get a new tire on my car or I can, you know, go get my tooth looked at, things that you just have to get done. But I also feel good that I get to have choices in life, pleasurable and just fun and free. Those are two completely different categories and they have different emotional responses. And so when people are trying to figure out how to organize their money, those have to be separated. And if they weren't trained as a child on the difference between a want and a need, as a child it would be, oh, what would be, I lost a shoe coming home from kindergarten, and I have to talk to somebody about getting a shoe because I can't go back tomorrow without one. That's the need. The want is my friend Suzanne, my little six-year-old friend, just got a new red bike, and I want one too. That's a want. They have different emotional responses in us, and, and the first training we had on them was when we were very little. So what do we learn? And I know you do a lot of work with women, and I think it will resonate with men as well. What what are the what, – what are often – our, our early learning what what is what is it that we see we do we think that we're supposed to take responsibility for that sometimes what 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 we have well the yeah go ahead. the fascinating part about what i do is is that you know the the money part you know i'm a financial consultant an educator about money but the counting and the money itself is literally no more than 20% of success with money. This other piece is huge. So the, the fascinating part about what I do in my office and in the classes is that each person is unique. Each person is unique. So one might have been taught about responsibility and taking care of it, and one might have been taught that somebody else will figure it out and think of it, and I don't have to worry about it. Every person is unique in his or her own money history and money training. And so each person has unique beliefs. And the challenge then is how do I help someone identify what that training was, what kind of beliefs she or he formed out of it, and now how does it show up in her adult or his adult money behavior? You know, one of the reasons I do this is that it is a model that doesn't use shame or blame. It is a model that is completely logical. Once each person figures out what his training was, what her, what her training was. So I give my clients a list of hmm, about 10 questions to ask from the perspective of child, right? How did I get what I wanted and needed? How did I get what I, you know, who had the authority, the power? You know, power issues and money are huge in this society. Who has the power? And what, happened, what did I learn about that as a child? Um, how did I get approval as a child? How did, 
um, what is safety? You know, when I get a client, a new client that walks into my office and says, okay, Ruth, I just want to know the number. I want to know what I need in retirement so I'm safe. Hmm. Now, we can talk about how to calculate that, but that's never the first question. The first question is, what does safe feel like? What I said a few minutes ago, I work with people who have multiple millions and they're not safe. They don't feel safe. And I work with people who feel safe, but they truly aren't safe. <laughs> so it starts with what is safety and what does it feel like? We live in a very uncertain time right now. So the safety for a lot of people has gotten all mixed up and they don't know if they feel safe. And they think that if they just won the lottery, they would get safe. I have two clients, by the way, Rhonda, that have told me I'm on speed dial on their phones in case they win the lottery. <laughs> right? Because people think that will solve the problem. Right. If money is in order, it will solve the emotional problem. Right? That's... And it doesn't, of course. It, but if you don't have money, you also won't be safe. You, you won't be safe unless you know you can take care of your poor cat and the tire on your car. You have to know you can take care of yourself and have some choices. But what that number is, is individual. What the beliefs are that govern it are totally and completely, uniquely an individual. How about that for a lecture, Rhonda? It's, a, it's an excellent, excellent learning. Thank you. Just to, If you've just tuned in, by the way, you're listening to Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. I'm Rhonda Feynman. We're speaking with Ruth Hayden, financial educator, consultant, and author about creating a healthy financial life. So when you are working with someone, and um, I'm, I'm remembering uh, in one of your books here, How to Turn Your Money Life Around, the money book for women, and that mm-hmm. was, well, you first wrote that right? three I mean, decades ago. Many decades ago. Yeah, and long time that ago. That was a long time ago. But yeah. you had these beautiful little puzzle pieces, and you said um, these attitudes that I shouldn't have to. Yes. I don't want to. It's too complicated. I can't. Mm-hmm. Someone else. Are, yeah, go ahead. I've categorized people's beliefs. Now, again, I don't want to take away from your listener that each listener is unique and they have their own specific beliefs. But just to kind of move things along a little bit, I put their beliefs into three broad categories. And one of them is I shouldn't have to. You know, and if I have that belief when I go to work, when I try to pay a bill, when I do something that is money oriented, I feel resentful. So if I feel resentful when I do money tasks, whether it's earning or paying bills or whatever, I have a belief that has something to do with I shouldn't have to. And I ask them then to explore it further, to figure out what it was specifically and what they say to themselves. The second broad category is I don't want to. It's like a a four-year-old stomping her foot and saying, I don't want to and you can't make me, <laughs> right? It's a defiance. It's defiance. I don't want to. The third one is I can't, and that's just kind of the veto one. This is too hard. This is too complicated. I'm, I have a creative brain. I don't have a linear brain, 
you know, whatever. I just can't. So I shouldn't want to. I don't. I shouldn't have to. I don't want to, and I can't. Are three broad categories. And you can kind of identify it by the emotion. I can't is fear. It really is about fear. So if you have fear when you do money, you've got something saying, I just can't. And so if you have, I shouldn't have to, I don't want to, or I can't, once you identify kind of the broad category, then you can identify your more, more unique beliefs within those categories. And some people have all three. And some have one primary. So those are the three broad categories that kind of help identify what, where you are with your beliefs. And it's based upon emotion. So a lot of fear about money. I think that that's, but that hits the nail on the head. And then it's, and then the aspects of dealing with the fear what you're saying is can come from a variety of sources and therefore your job as and and our, our client's job and all of our jobs really is to understand our own emotional makeup about this and then do some other kinds of techniques that would help help move that along now i think in the women's book you you know some people and i'm not sure you know this was written in a number many decades ago but uh, some women didn't believe they had to work. It was this whole different idea of of, yeah. of how the economy worked and what it was available as opportunities. And mm-hmm. so, I remember the very vividly the the uh, little girl who wanted to get a doll and decided to save her allowance. I, I love that yes. image. And then her parents who had their own fears and their own beliefs were going, "Oh, honey, we're what we don't. You don't need to save the money. We'll buy you a yeah. doll." True, true story. Yeah. Yes. And so then, or men thought women shouldn't power, work, right? Men took thought away women. Her focus. They were trying to be nice. It wasn't malicious. They didn't want her wanting for anything because probably because they wanted for something when they were a child and they didn't want their child to do that. So it gets all mixed up together. And then I get that person, <clears throat> that little girl in my office who says, "What's the point anyway?" Someone with more money and more power can just take it over and just do it bigger and better than me. So what's the point? Wow, right? It's an amazing how we translate when we're children what happens to us. Because when I ask my clients, my class people to go back, I ask them to go back to a dependent, vulnerable age where they really had no money, power with money. They had none. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, it was learning about the emotions that happen with money, getting what you want to need, feeling safe, what we talked about a few minutes ago, you know, getting approval, belonging, all of those questions. And then to figure out what happened. But it's, it, it's important that people are willing to go on this kind of introspection, uh, exploration of what are the emotions behind this that are that are absolutely controlling my behavior. It's it's it will make sense once I figure it out. 
Now, in your uh, women, uh, money and couples book for richer, not poorer, the money book for couples, you had a, mm-hmm. a great example of uh, a, of a couple. Um, there was uh, a, a uh, the the male part of the couple <laughs> was talking about this couldn't possibly work, and then started to do this and realized that when he was young, his father was always saying that no matter how much I earn, more people are going to need more money and I'll never, yeah. ever have enough money. So, so what's the point again? So what's the point? Yeah. And so, and so then if you're trying to figure out, you know, I just, you know, or your partner's trying to figure out why you just give up, there we go. Right. I mean, it's really, I'm a very left brain logical. I told you my background is accounting, right? <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely stunning. At the power, the power to hold someone, control someone's behavior, these emotions. It's really amazing. I tell my clients that emotional intelligence is critical for this way of working with money. And I say there's one primary rule with emotional intelligence. One, I think everything is a skill, Rhonda, so I call this one primary skill, right? Mm -hmm. And that is... I really understand me. I really get why I do what I do. I really understand me. I mean, that is the key to emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence isn't something that's just bestowed on people. It's actually a skill that we practice throughout our lifetime as we learn more and more about ourselves. And the more we understand ourselves, the more... um, control, power, authority, choice we have over our behavior. And so this is, the more people are willing to go on an exploration, you know, couples that are fighting, you know, money is the primary reason for divorce. And the fights about money, they have more fights about money than parenting, in-laws, anything. They have more fights about money, and the statistics say that they are more intense and they last longer, the fights about money. Well, it isn't about money. (laughs) It's about the emotional beliefs. Anybody who's listening to your program right now who's in a couple knows that they've been in a fight that made no logical sense. Even while they were really angry, they're going, what the heck is this about? And it's about an emotion. It's about what the individuals were taught on an emotional level, what the right answer is. You know, earlier I gave a definition for a belief, which is a belief which comes out of your training and controls your behavior. A belief is an emotional conclusion that feels like truth. And if it feels like truth to me, I'm going to fight with you over it. And then you have your own belief that feels like truth, and you're going to fight me over it. And it's, it's fascinating, the intensity of when we think we have the truth. And then, of course, for couples, we add one more component, Rhonda, and that is we find our opposite. We fall in <laughs> love who in, with someone who intrigues us. And then when we make a lifetime commitment, we wish they were more like us. <laughs> That's right. Right. What yeah. is it? I, I, I love you. 
uh, something, I found you, I love you, now change, or something like yes, that. Yes, very good, yes. yes. Yeah. And I, so it's a setup for having problems, and again, money, ha- the more thoughtful, the more introspective people can be about themselves, and why they do what they do, if they're willing to really look at their emotional responses and figure them out, they'll be able to have a more rational conversation with a partner. So you have How about that. Well, yeah. So you have two people coming together, and and this is so it's a, somehow a combination of everybody doing their individual work and then doing the work of the couple. That's right. So, so. You have someone with the, well, I don't want to be deprived. I really just deserve whatever. I work really hard. I deserve whatever it is. And yeah. could, you know, I deserve is the language of emotion, which is the language of belief. Okay. And then the other aspect is, well, we have to be very careful and there's never going to be enough. So we really need to not deserve so much. Or well, the, the, they've really done studies, and they do it in classifications. And I hate. I, <clears throat> I am really careful that when we identify someone's help, identify somebody's belief system, it is an identification process, not a stereotyping process. Right. And and I know that maybe <clears throat> as a professional, I have to be really careful that we're not stereotyping. Like, I've done an awful lot of study on gender issues and money. and But you have to be really, really careful that it doesn't slide over to... So then, I remember many, many years ago, it was an article in Money Magazine, and um, I was working with their head um, editor, um, and... They translated what I said. He sent me a copy of it before the magazine came out and wanted me to edit it. And it was, if you do this, you think like a girl. If you do this, you think like a boy. Mm. And his name was Gary. And I said, Gary, if you do this in the article, you have to take my name out of the article because you're stereotyping. And that is not useful. Stereotyping is not useful. Well, because yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. If I'm a girl, I don't want to think like a boy. And if I'm boy, so how does this bring us together? Oh, gosh, such binary thinking. Well, by the way, if you just tuned in, I'm Rhonda Feynman. This is the Healthy <laughs> Options Program on WERU Community Radio. Our guest today is Ruth Hayden, nationally recognized financial consultant, educator, and author. Our focus today on healthy options is financial health. So, I have to say, I remember that money market. I mean, that money magazine. As a matter of fact, I threw that magazine across the floor or across <laughs> the room. And I remember really it very, very, you. because it was very, very specific. Tell me, the, the listeners, what you think of this. The woman was a, a well-regarded surgeon. I remember this very well. And her husband was a nurse. And all of the consultants except you were falling over themselves she clearly earned more than he did. She clearly had more credentials. And it, it was just, but so what? They were, it, you know, that wasn't the point. No, and they wanted to make it work. And they were falling over themselves to make him be more, quote, the man of the family in a very stereotypical way. And 
it was fascinating. He should be making the she can bring the money in, but he should be making the decisions. She should be she could do this, but he we have to make sure he feels manly. And it was like, <laughs> really? And this was not Isn't that awful. It was you know, so horrifying. Too- not how can we get yeah. them to work together and find out what their mutual goals are and how wonderful that they have this great income and they can work with that. It wasn't about that at all. It was all about stereotypes and and this concept. And I think that that would be a big part of even today. Would you say that this is still something you deal with? I do need to point out, though, that if you remember that article, it mentioned that Ruth Hayden out of St. Paul, Minnesota, is the only one that disagreed with this. She's she's a national anomaly. It was the first time I was called a national anomaly because I was saying that's not true. I remember it totally. he didn't take my name out of the article, but he did clarify <laughs> that I had a different opinion. You know, I am so passionate about that, that we, we have a, oh, in this capitalistic system, we have a, a belief as a system that whoever has the most money has the most say. And that belief is on every level of our society. Even people who don't think they believe it, believe it. We have to get it out of it because it ruins couples. You know, in today's world, a little over a third of women earn more than a male couple counterpoint, right? Mm. And it's, it's not a, it shouldn't be a big deal, and it therapeutically in this society still is because we're taking away his manliness. But, you know, it's, it's how do we get rid of the core belief, the core belief, not well, how do men feel manly. That's, that is not the core belief. The core belief is do we have a belief that says whoever has the most money has the most say? And if that's our belief, then we have it's a whole different problem than the belief that says we all have something to give, and we give to our relationship in different ways. One of the ways is money. That's the belief I work with with my couples to try to retrain to because it's the only belief that works to have a couple going, a family going, a society going, a community going, is to have a belief that says we all give in different ways. One of the ways is money. But we do, in this society, put money at the top and the most important. There. I just did a little lecture. It's a good <laughs> I lecture. I really believe this. So, and I really believe that it is the answer to couples working <clears throat> together and having a truly healthy partnership. And um, we have to figure out a way to retrain. If we can do it in our couples, we can do it in our communities, we can do it in the greater society. But if we can't do it in the couple, that's what is the base of the family. How do we do it here so we know what it looks like and feels like and so we recognize it in the greater society? That's why we have lobbyists. That's our most blatant example of whoever has the most money has the most say. Right, in the the political world, yes. Yeah. Yes. So in your book, um, as of uh, since we're on the couple, the couple channel, as we say, um, (laughs) um, and this was for all couples and every every manifestation, every configuration of a couple has the same um, geography, (laughs) as it were. 
any gender, you know, same-sex couples, heterosexual, all of these different um, different uh, ways of being in relationship uh, because we still come in to these relationships with being who we are and being with what we've learned. So Yes, we have our beliefs. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, it, we are, are tr- attracted. It's not about, you know, are you a, a male or a female? We are attracted based upon our beliefs and opposites do attract. It's an old saying, and it's really true, because we're intrigued by it. We're intrigued by someone's differences when we first meet them. And so then we end up making a commitment for life with someone opposite. I remember telling a good friend of mine, you know, that, oh, he's so fascinating. We talked until 2 o'clock in the morning because I've never, I've just learned so much. Oh, my. You know, we do that. We're intrigued by differences. And then we fall in love. And truly, what the couples say to me I don't understand how he thinks, she thinks, she's, I don't understand. You know, when I teach the couples class, I tell them in the first class that some of them are there because they're hoping their partner will have an epiphany. (laughs) And the epiphany is, you're right. You've been right all along. Let's do it your way. And then I tell the class that won't happen. (laughs) You know, it's just not going to happen. So just get over it. But they're hoping that will happen, which is their partner. A lot of them, they want their partner to be like them. And that's not going to happen. The purpose in a partnership is so that we be, both understand and respect each other's differences and then find a way to work together and create a life, a healthy life. So you talk about... Um well, you just you talk about these principles of, of yes. being in a partnership. You talk about commitment, trust, respect, and compromise. How does that fit yes. into creating a uh, a partnership in, fi- in the emotional financial world? If you notice, Rhonda, those are emotional. They use emotional intelligence. I call them the partnership cornerstones. I think they're important for anybody's life, yes, an individual's life, a couple's life. Um, uh, an organization's life, <clears throat> but I tell the couples that they replace what they were taught. You know, what they are taught, listening to their parents, is that if we disagree, the, 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 three, the three tools that we have are fighting and fussing, arguing, right? Um, acquiescing, someone just says, you handle it. You know, you want you want to do you do you handle it, and the third one is couples don't talk. They've done studies on on couples going you know silent for no meaning con- meaningful conversation for days and days and days. And I said that's what you saw your parents do. One of those three, maybe all of them, but one of those three, is what they did when they disagreed. And I am saying, you need emotional intelligence, and here are four. We will have a commitment. We will make this work. We're not just going to try. We're actually going to make this work. Second one is respect. You know, that even if I disagree with you, we can respect each other. Trust. I do what I say I'm going to do, right? And compromise, which I use because nobody likes that word. We keep trying to come up with words that aren't that word, but it's compromise. (laughs) It says, 
<clears throat> somewhere between us, there is space we can be in. You know, how do we understand that we're different from each other, know what I have to know as a member of a couple, Rondo, what I need, period, what is really critical. The rest of it is superficial, and I'm going to stretch towards you to make it happen. I am in a relationship for four decades. I'd like a little credit. Congratulations. Let's take a moment. Artist. Congratulations. <laughs> He's an artist. He came home one day and told me he'd made an investment that he was really pleased with. It was a bird feeder, right? <laughs> and, and it was a just, lovely bird feeder. Well, the birds have more choice of food with that bird feeder than we do, but that's a whole other topic, Rhonda. <laughs> but it's, it's, and I am a very left-brained, you know, let's plan, let's set goals. And he is, let's live in the moment. I mean, we have done this. I absolutely believe if we can do this, anyone can do it. But it also hasn't been easy. Hmm. It hasn't been easy. We have to figure out what's, what is really important to me. I hang on to that. Really important. And the rest of it, I'm going to stretch as far as I can towards you. And if you're doing the same thing, we have something that can work. Rigidity doesn't work. you got to be single if you want to be rigid. And I tell my clients, if you want it to stay the way it is and the way you want it to be, then be single. Single's not bad. Single's good. But if you are willing to be elastic and stretch, you know, and figure out who you are individually and then who you are together, because those are the three entities. Who am I? Who are you? And who are we? It's it's wonderful. Hmm. I still can't get off the word compromise. Okay. How's everybody feeling out there? Notice, take a breath. How's the little belly feeling? Okay. (laughs) Compromise, by the way, is a word that people have an emotional response to. I read um, a column by um, someone who's written a book on couples, and he made the statement that compromise was not something that was acceptable because somebody always loses well that's what i was and my first response was oh sweetheart (laughs) you know you're not on you're not on the right train here right because that's not true that's our fear our fear is if i give in to you at all i will lose me and of course that's not the point at all the point is Emotional intelligence, I really, first, the first step is I really understand me. I really know what's important to me. I really know why I do what I do. And the second one is I understand you, and now let's figure out how to make this work. It's not about loss, and I think that when people use the word compromise, they're actually thinking of acquiescing, which is where one person just gives up and backs off. I think that's what they're thinking of. And I think of compromises taking a high degree of emotional intelligence and it's stretching. It's an elastic movement. And it's really quite fascinating. And it really does work. So how do how we about that? So there so yes. Um yes. And I and I, I, I did know that you actually meant that, yes. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> is everybody relaxed now? The belly's relaxing. We just take a nice breath. <laughs> we really know ourselves and what our needs are. And it's interesting when you said to be an individual and to just be single. You know, you still have to face yourself when you're single. And you still of have course. to deal with your beliefs, do you not? So, And you're still going to be in relationships with people. Right. I mean, it's those four cornerstones are critical for everyone. And it's just, you know, how do I grow? How do I grow my emotional intelligence? How do I, you know, I call them the four corners because they create a solid structure within me and within us. Um, it just, this kind of work is wonderful work that no matter who you are, absolutely will help. It's, it's um, at this stage in my career, it's absolutely fascinating. To see. And I look back at my 30-year younger self and go, how did you figure this out, sweetheart? <laughs> right? Right. But I'm very practical, and I'm very left brain, and I really needed some. I'm a teacher. So if I'm teaching first grade, and my job is to teach little Janie how to read, and she's not reading, I don't say, what is wrong with you, Janie? I say, okay, what am I missing here? My job is to teach her to read. Come on. we got to figure it out. We're missing something. And I think when you approach it that way, mm. I've never met a person, by the way, that didn't have the intelligence and the competency to do money. Mm. So then if I start with that, then and the person, it's not working, I go, what, am, what are we missing here and what, do I, what needs to be done next? And this emotional piece is huge. And it creates, for your whole life, it creates stability one of the things I talk about, and I know it's left brain language, but I talk about the four facets, Rhonda, mm-hmm. and that are the those are the four things that we have to put together and hold in our life, where all of them are strong. So it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical, and it's financial. And when I work with people, many times we're missing the financial, but they have the other three. And their life isn't working. To have a healthy life, you have to have strength in all four areas. Hmm. And then you have a balanced, healthy life. And that includes money. So I want to review uh, what we were talking about, the four the pillars, the, 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 the creating the solid foundation. Uh, in case someone just tuned in, by the way, uh, we'll, we'll tell you what those pillars are. And it has to do with commitment. We're going to make something work. And, then, and you said that you use this with um, organizations as well. So this is not only about, mm-hmm. about um, uh, relational with another person. It's also relational on that big, bigger level. So it's commitment. Yes. We're going to make this work. It's respect. We can have a difference, but I respect your position. It's trust. I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, right? And then the compromise, which we had a great deal of, uh, of conversation about, which is, has to do with the stretching, the knowing what, when you know what you really need. What's, yeah. It's not acquiescing. When you know what you really need, then you can um, be flexible. Well, you hold with the others. I hold me you can, while I stretch to you. Right. That's how it works. And if you just tuned in, by the way, we are speaking with Ruth Hayden. She is a financial consultant, 
and she is uh, here talking about financial health on healthy options here at WERU. Yeah, we're discussing financial health here. Yes. <sighs> wow. Okay, yeah. so there are exercises to get to your core beliefs, aren't there, that you've adapted and that you work with? What, what, what kind of things do you recommend to, if someone wants to uh, get started on, on understanding more about, about that belief about money? Now, we know we talked about the look coming from a vulnerable child place to understand what we learned. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're, on, in, again, in relations, what, you have to think about what your common goals are, do you not? And how do you, do you get the, the individuals, the me, the you, and the us? How, does that, how do you <clears throat> teach that? Well, again, once they've done their introspection work, like in the couples class, they go home with questions about their childhood, and they're not supposed to talk together about it. It's, it's their individual. And then they come back and they tell each other about themselves, right? One of the things we work on in the class is um, core values. <clears throat> and I teach them that it's where money and, and time, by the way, time is spent with the same set of beliefs as money. Hmm. You know, if you never have enough money, you usually don't have enough time either. If you're always running behind in money, you're running behind in time. It's an, it's an interesting parallel. But anyway, um, values, which is why are we doing this, drive goals, which is what are we doing, drive the two tools we use to get it done, which are time and money. That's how are we going to do it. Hmm. And if you, if a couple, if you're clear, again, I want to use, it's really critical that individuals do this too. Single people do this too. What are the reasons I'm here? What is, why, what is the why? Why am I here? What is this all about? Let's, let me be clear with myself, right? And when a couple does this, all of a sudden they have a base. <clears throat> they have a baseline to work from. And then out of the values, <clears throat> We have four values that we agree on here in this family. I have some, like, um, financial security is one of my core values. My husband's is live in the moment. We work well together, (laughs) right? But if you have a, like, if we have a value that says um, learning and growth, we are going to promote learning and growth within each other, within the family, and within society, then goals have to do with education. They have to do with classes. They have to do with travel. They have to do with um, therapy. They have to do with anything that promotes that. And then we have to make it work with time and money. We have a um, value that we, we, we have four. And one of them is, another one is, um, that giving to the outside world is a commitment, not a convenience. So we don't do it based upon money. We do it based upon um, what we have said we would do. <clears throat> so within our money planning, we actually have a separate category that gets money 
that is forgiving. I like that term better than charity because we taught our children about this when they were young. And I thought giving was a stronger, more powerful word than if we taught them charity, which usually means one person is more than another. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the implications of it. So we have it, we call it giving. And we call it giving to strangers. <laughs> so it's people we don't know, right, mm-hmm. versus giving to our family. And so it was a commitment that we made as a partnership that in our, just like paying the mortgage was in our money planning, giving was a category. And it got an amount of money mm-hmm. and still does. And so that money we give outside of ourselves to benefit the greater world. So we feel like we have an impact out there, which I think is really important right now. And so people, when people decide their core values individually or as a couple or as an organization, what are our core, core values here? What's everything going to come out? I call this the why. If you know the why, you can figure out the how. How are we going to do it? And And I watch people when they get this and they make it work and they change. hmm. They, you know, even if people don't have a lot of money, if I have designated part of it to affect the greater world, I feel richer. And I'm affecting the greater world. So, um, so it's, it's a it's a fascinating process to work with people. Um, so values, the why, drive, goals, which is the what, and manage time and money, which is the how are we going to do this? And it's it's um, I tell the couples that if they start arguing and they can't interrupt it, go back to their values. Uh Because if they get back to their values, now we're anchored again. Now we're okay. That's powerful. And then they can work their way up. So you recommend meetings and and doing this in stages. It's not, we're going to spend Saturday getting our money life together. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) that should take, that should work. Uh, I'm going to, you know, go swimming in the morning and then. And then we'll just do, mo- you know, we'll we'll just get our money stuff together between twelve and six, and then we'll go out to dinner. Yeah. Oh wait, does it well, work? Well, it's then? like even though neither one of us have run around, we neither one has run around the block for years and years. We're just going to do a marathon with this, and we think <laughs> it's going to be okay. Right. And of course, it isn't. No. You know, there's a term in a, a financial principle called dollar cost averaging. Yes. And dollar cost averaging is when you take some money and put it away toward retirement and you do it frequently. So people that have money taken taken out of their paychecks to go away toward retirement, that's dollar cost averaging. Okay? Mm-hmm. I believe the same thing in time. And so I tell my clients that I want them to practice <clears throat> a meeting once a week. And I said, if you can't find an hour once a week, we got to talk. Right? It's just they don't want to find it because in the past it's been that marathon and they both left their bruised. Hmm. So no more than an hour once a week. 
dollar cost averaging only. This is time averaging. And they need to set a timer. And they need to have an agenda <clears throat> on what are we going to talk about today. And the first agenda in this meeting, once a week, no more than an hour, is when is our next meeting? <laughs> so that they know they're going to meet again. And these little meetings are so powerful because they do two things. One is they say, here's a place that we can talk about money and get something done. And secondly, it defers. If, I, you know, if, if I'm leaving for work and my husband said, uh, did you pay the car insurance? I don't know. I consider that disrespectful. If I interrupt what you're doing, for my agenda, because I want to know, that's disrespectful. So instead, you're, you're going to have to wait, whether it's somewhere between one and six days, until we have our next meeting. And then you can ask, or now, we can figure out if we paid it. Well, of course, the, the since it is the car insurance and it probably has a due date, you do have the ability to go and look it up yourself. And if it hasn't Isn't been paid, pay it. I mean, just kind of take it as a, a responsibility going, wow, I wonder if we missed that, you know. <laughs> Which, well, the other thing is if you're meeting once a then week. Then you wouldn't miss it. You know it. That's right. You just know it. So uh, in the couples book, I talk about agenda. You know, one of the twice a, twice a month, so two out of four meetings, we actually look at the bills. One meeting, we look at what I call um, the savings escrow. Escrow is savings to spend. That was that need, want stuff we talked about at the beginning, mm -hmm. putting away money for stuff that we know we're going to need to spend and that we know we're going to want to spend, like holidays and like vacation and, you know, stuff we're going to do, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the, the fourth one, it has to do with um, checking up on what's happening with the retirement, you know, the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, and what it does is just keeps things in order. And you never need more than an hour. Not if you're doing it every week. Mm -hmm. But I give them two assignments for weekly. One is the meeting where you handle this stuff. And two is to go out and play, do a date. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I tell them they can call it anything they want to. <clears throat> but it has to be at least an hour and a half. You cannot talk about money. You cannot talk about relatives. You cannot talk about children, <laughs> two-legged or four-legged children. You can't talk about work. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about the things in life that are about roles. You can talk about each other. <laughs> you can talk about dreams and hopes. You can just sit and go for a walk and hold hands or go for a walk. You can, but you, it has to be like it was when you first met. Because I believe that couples, as they go through life, lose that emotional intimacy connection. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the reasons that when couples hit a role change in their life, like having a kid, having a kid leave, retirement is one of the biggest issues for divorce, one of the big, biggest times. It's a huge role change. So when they have a role change, divorce rate goes up. My goodness. And I say if we can figure out a way to hold the emotional intimacy, we can stop that. Mm. So. 
That's well, what I believe. I think that so is I a, ask them to make two commitments a week, and it's interesting on how hard it is for people. I, I, I can see how that could be, but I think we can leave it there as this great um, idea and this great instruction about how we can get our financial life together. We, there is just so much more. We, we have to continue this conversation we, about retirement and about how, again, very emotionally, how very much emotionally to deal with our financial life. Ruth, um, we've been speaking with the financial educator and consultant and author Ruth Hayden. I want to thank you so much, Ruth, for being with us again on WBWERU. On WERU. And for more information, Ruth Hayden's website is R-U-T-H-H-A-Y-D-E-N dot C-O-M, RuthHayden.com. There will be a link to her website when we post the show in the Public Affairs Archives at WERU.org. If you missed any part of this program or would like to share it, please go to WERU.org and find our recent programs on demand. Once again, uh, Ruth Hayden, I I just have to thank you. Uh, She has four books, and you can find them on her website. I want to thank John Greenman for engineering, to Petra Hall for production assistance, and as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. This is Rhonda Feynman. I'm wishing you the best in health, financially as well. Support for WERU comes from Susan Bakley and Chris Marshall at the 13th Moon Center in Montville, offering shamanic healing, art from the heart, through art, therapy, and classes since 1985. More information is available at 13thmooncenter.net, all spelled out, or 589-3063. Here's something that we suspect many of you do each day. Listen to music on WERU Community Radio. Music is, as the saying goes, the universal language. It makes us dance, sing, and tap our toes. It comforts us during difficult times and helps us celebrate good times. And it's paid for by listeners just like you. We invite you to support diverse music on WERU, particularly now so that we finish the year on a good note. Please call 207-469-6600 during weekday business hours or give online at weru.org. Your one-time or monthly gift keeps the music coming year-round. Thank you. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the weekly packet Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at penobscotbaypress.com. You are listening to Community Radio WERU. E-R-U-F-M, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, online at WERU.org. Listener support and volunteer power to voice of many voices. Birds flying high You know how I feel Sun up in the sky You know how Drifting on by You know how I feel It's a new dawn And a new day And a new life 
a new dawn.